On the programme this week, we're looking at the health and well-being report that's just been published calling for greater support for those in farming. People have stress in other industries, but the trouble with with agriculture is people are quite isolated um, and they often work on their own. Um, you know, that not many people come down the farm drive anymore. We'll hear more from Philip Wynne, the man behind the report, in a moment. Also, Simon's here with an update from British Sugar. And if you're not already in farming, today's the day to find out more about it. Our charitable objective is to promote and advance and educate about food farming in the countryside. So this one really does tick all of those boxes. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Uh, A report this week has called for greater recognition and support of Britain's farming families to help meet what it describes as the many challenges facing UK agriculture at the moment. The Health and Wellbeing Report was commissioned by the Worshipful Company of Farmers and supported by 20 farming charities, rural organisations and support groups in total, including uh, LRSN, the Gamekeepers Trust, the NFU, the National Federation of Young Farmers Clubs, YANA, the Royal Agricultural Society, the National Rural Mental Health Forum... RABI, among others. Now, the report itself, though, was the idea of Philip Wynne when he was master of the Worshipful Company of Farmers back in 2016. I think we're all aware of the, the pressures that we, there, there are in farming today, but one of the things that really struck me in my year as master and the preceding year was the levels of stress that were in young people. And in that year, I got involved with our leadership and management courses, and, and it really did um, you know, strike me that there was a, a major issue that not only do we have to recognise, but we also have to do something about training people to deal with the pressures uh, and the challenges we're going to face. And let's face it, looking ahead now, um, it's, it's not going to get any easier in agriculture. Um, so, you know, that, that's, really, that's what started it all off. And, um, and as a result of that, I, I decided and, and got together nearly all the rural support groups that exist, including the national ones and local ones, and to see what actually we could do to improve the way they were networking, to uh, improve awareness throughout the industry, and what we might do in terms of steps for the future. So that's, that's really how it started. And the report itself, any surprises, or is it what you thought might come from that? No, I think it's quite interesting because people have asked me that and actually there are no real surprises Mm. but actually this is the first time that we've gathered evidence from all the organisations, all the people that work within rural communities and and the reason and and the importance of that is I think hopefully people will take notice whereas locally it is a local issue and and, and perhaps not enough credence is given to it Um, but actually having a report that includes everyone's views and all the available data and statistics, I think, um, you know, I'm hopeful will create this much greater awareness. And hopefully I want something to come out of it. So I'm really trying, I'm really uh, interested in trying to form something like Farm Strong in New Zealand, uh, which has buy-in through everyone in agriculture, which allows people to get help and support in a much more easier way. It's not necessarily having to ring someone up or having to go and see somebody. You can look at it online. You can get um, support online. You can see how other people deal with pressures and change. And, and it increases people's resilience. Um, and actually quite interesting, a few weeks ago, Farmers Weekly ran the Fit to Farm campaign and they did a survey. And actually, although two thirds of people responded, they felt in physically good shape. Only 55% said they were in good mental shape. 
I think agriculture is different too, isn't it? You know, people have stress in other industries, but the trouble, the thing with agriculture is people are quite isolated, um, and they often work on their own. Um, you know, that not many people come down the farm drive anymore, and so they become quite. You know, they are isolated, and it, they find it then a bigger challenge to make decisions and seek help. As you say, help is there, but you have to pick the phone up. And given, as the report itself states, you know, certain attitudes, it's almost an embarrassment to reach out for help, especially if it's mental health. You know, it's almost like there's a stigma there, and so I won't speak out. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? I think there is this stoic attitude in agriculture that says, you know, it's, it's, it's not good to ask for help. I think it's changing in the younger generation. The younger generation are much more open-minded about it. They're much, they want to talk about it, they want to learn about it, and, and we need to help them. You mentioned also, or the report mentions also, about under, possible underreporting of, of suicide among uh, those in farming, uh, partly because the cut-off point is 65, and obviously we have people still farming in their 80s. Absolutely, and, and there, are, there are two or three aspects of that. Um, one is that actually occupations are not necessarily... Um, cited correctly mm. and secondly because obviously in agriculture a lot of people work on into their 70s and 80s so then the percentage and numbers of suicide are definitely underreported. you mentioned new zealand it is working in other parts of the world why do you think it's not happening here just yet why has nobody else got a grip of this and thought actually there is a problem here we need to find a solution um, do you think uh, perhaps new zealand was brought on by the real radical change that they saw they had and and that was you know a really difficult time for them with a lot of people committing suicide so i think there was a real need to create an organization like farm strong um and I think in the UK, you know, we're heading in that same direction. We're heading into an enormous period of change. And, and it's unknown territory, uncharted territory for a lot of people. Um, these support groups, um, they do a fantastic job. The problem is that, you know, they, they one of their key issues is getting funding. And um, they're, you know, actually having resources, finding trustees, finding volunteers who will go out and talk to people. Um, and of course, you know, with a funding issue, they end up spending a lot of their time trying to get um, pitch for grants and uh, charitable donations uh, rather than actually using that time to help people. So the creation of awareness, I hope, will help everybody in terms of making it easier to get grant funding. Um, I think the other thing which is important is trying to use some of this evidence that demonstrates the social return on the work that these organisations are doing. Um, Because, you know, for every one pound spent probably in a rural support group could be saving ten pounds within NHS and the wider, you know, public services. So actually gaining evidence that demonstrates the real value that these support groups are giving um, is absolutely essential. Back in uh, 2016, when you came up with this uh, idea and thought we need to look at this, you couldn't have known the timing of the report actually coming out. No. Would, I mean, you know, with, with what is going on in farming at the moment, in the UK at the moment, I mean, it's, it's, now's the time, isn't it? You've got that timing spot on. Uh, absolutely. And of course, it's a time when actually within rural communities, there's fewer resources. The NHS has fewer resources. Doctors are trying to do more with less, Um, and actually it's a time when agriculture and farming communities need more help. Um, And of course, you know, I think change is uh, not just about the business, it's about changing families and succession planning, which farming finds in a lot of instances very, very difficult to undertake. Um, 
And, and these rural support groups do an amazingly good job in helping people. But they can only do so much, and they don't cover the whole geography of the UK. You know, there are some big gaps when there's nobody. There's a number of recommendations. What, what happens next, or what do you hope will happen next following this report? So uh, we're organising another group of the forum in May, um, and to really look at those key recommendations. I'm talking to one or two people in, in the industry about how we might gain support for a farm-strong network. Um, that's my aspiration out of all this. If we could create something like FarmStrong in the UK um, that gave people easy access to help and support, um, that would be fantastic. That's Philip Wynne, former master of the Worshipful Company of Farmers and the man behind its health and well-being report, which has just been published. Uh, you'll find a link to the report on the WCF website. We'll also post that link on our Twitter account, at Farming Show, if you're on Twitter. And also, we'll get Sean Sparling's view on it later too, fresh from his hosting of the Rural Charities Dinner on Thursday night. First, though, Sugar Beat. Simon Leeds is with me from British Sugar. Hello, Simon. Hello, Sean. How, How are, are you? you? I'm all right. Are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Yeah. How's, uh, how's things then at uh, the factory? Yeah, well, it's amazing. A month seems to fly by. Doesn't I know. It? Just <laughs> soon goes. Soon goes. <laughs> um, yeah, the main topic really is to talk about the crop uh, for 19. But before we do that, just really just sort of quick update on the factory. We've finished the campaign. Um, and my colleagues in the factory have now really moved on to the uh, maintenance programme, which they've been planning, you know, carefully planning that over the campaign period to make sure we're ready for, for next year. So sort of big focus on that. So moving on to the crop, as I said last month, we did have a small area drilled in February, which was pretty remarkable. Um, we did then have a wet spell, which put the covers back on for a, for a few days. But drilling really got going again in mid-March. And as we sit here today, uh, well over 90% of the crop has been drilled. And that's sort of well ahead of, of uh, sort of five-year average, which is which is good news. Um, and it does set the crop up well. But as ever, we have to remember, it's a long way to go between now and the campaign. And, you know, the weather can throw all sorts of things at us. Drilling conditions have generally been very good, I would say. A bit more rain now would be welcome. Some seedbeds did become a bit dry towards the end of drilling. And what I would just say to people is, you know, where they are finishing off the headlands and it's a bit drier, a bit cloddier, do consider using a higher seed rate just to try and increase the plant population in those, in those areas. Uh, just turning our attention to the, to the crop uh, and getting it growing as quickly as possible and getting it to the sort of critical 12 true leaf stage where it will withstand uh, aphid uh, infection. Key difference this year is clearly we're growing out with the neonicotinoids. I mentioned that last time. Um, and three areas I'd really like people to just consider uh, at this stage is, uh, well, four actually. Um, mentioned last time, please do destroy old beet spoil heaps. It's not too late to get rid of those because they are a source of overwintering aphids and infection. So that's really important. Many of the earlier drill crops are now emerging well and attention needs to turn to weed control. And it's really... Again, stop so we don't slow the crop down. It's really looking at the weather conditions, looking at the mixes, the the the, the, the herbicides we're using uh, to make sure we don't minimise crop or slow down crop growth. Really important. Um, on crops that are now sort of fully expanded cotyledon, uh, you know, really make sure we get that that nitrogen on in good time because it's really important for early canopy growth and getting the leaves there as quickly as possible so that the crop can can grow on. And finally, turning to uh, aphid monitoring, which is really crucial this year. So the BBRO, the British Beet Research Organisation, uh, which is jointly funded between the growers and the processor, 
the aphid monitoring programs now started and we've doubled the we put these yellow water traps into the field that attract like a flower and it tracks the aphids in um, and that's crucial information and they're emptied twice a week go to bbro in norwich who do all the analysis and this year they'll be uh, posting the information up on their interactive website so growers can see what what's happening in terms of an interactive maps and they've doubled the network of of traps this year which is which is good news I'd ask growers to make sure they monitor their own crops. Uh, fresh threshold for treatment is one wingless green aphid for plants. So as soon as you find that, be ready to, to go out and, and treat the crop. Finally, you know, please do make use of my team on the ground, the British Contract Managers. They're out there to support uh, growers and they'll only be too pleased to help and support uh, all of our growers with technical advice. Um, so please do make the use of those. And finally, keep an eye out for the weekly uh, BBRO Bulletin and make use of the wealth of information that's on their site, which is www.bbro.co.uk. And I look forward to updating you all again in a month's time. Useful info. Thank you, Simon. Simon Leeds from British Sugar. Let's return to that health and wellbeing report and our chat earlier with Philip Wynne. It surrounded rural charities, and it was the Rural Charities Dinner on Thursday with uh, our own Sean Sparling as your MC. Uh, if you listened last Sunday to the programme, you'll have heard me say it was actually taking place on Friday, though we did hurriedly correct it for the podcast. So uh, the podcast version got it right. Apologies um, for that. Uh, how did it go at the showground, Sean? Yes, good morning, Sean. Indeed, it was on Thursday night, I think. For me, the saddest thing on Thursday evening at the Epic Centre at the Lincolnshire Rural Charities Dinner was those two empty seats. And I, I understand that an elderly couple turned up on Friday night, as per your instruction, uh, only to find in their black tie and uh, ball gown that the Epic Centre was completely closed. No, they didn't. Everybody turned up on time. Don't worry about it. It was a slip of the tongue and it happens to all of us. I made several myself at the dinner itself while I was emceeing. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sean. No. 570 people and what a generous bunch of people you know these people have already given their time and their money and donations to LRSN and the LAS and the John Egging Trust they've already done that and yet on the night itself on the envelopes on the table we raised over £9,000 in cash quite extraordinary humbling to be part of it and it never ceases to amaze me the generosity of the people from Lincolnshire who support the Lincolnshire Rural Charities Dinner now three years ago we raised over £45,000 and we we're hoping that the early signs are we should be somewhere very close to that figure again this year. And that goes to help people, the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, who provide help to people in the rural community. So whether it be mental health issues, financial issues, succession, whether it be, it doesn't matter what it is, stress, pressure, whatever sort of pressure, the LRSN is there to help people. And we don't fill the bank up with money that grows money we put all of the money back into helping people and that's what it's all about that's what charities should be for and i think that's why it's so well supported because people know that money isn't going on massive inflated salaries or filling a bank account it's going to help people and there are an awful lot of people who need help and that number is growing day by day the other two charities which benefited were the lincolnshire agricultural society's charity incidentally 150 years of the lincolnshire agricultural society this year and that will be reflected at the lincolnshire show on june the 19th and 20th 
and also the John Egging Trust, J-E-T, Jet. Um, now, John Egging was a RAF pilot who flew the Red Arrows, one of the Red Arrows, and he was tragically killed in a, an accident while displaying at an air show. Um, his wife set up the John Egging Trust, and it helps young people fulfil their potential. And they put a film together last night, and I don't mind telling you, it absolutely floored me. It brought a lump to my throat to see the effect that that charity is having on young people who without it have very little hope of progressing in the world and just a wonderful wonderful charity but i'm i'm also humbled by the help we were given you get people like ruddox of lincoln who did all of our printing the menus the tickets the commemorative programs everything was put together for nothing no charge that's what these charities mean to organisations like Ruddocks of Lincoln, and they understand they're important. But that is so generous. People like Stephen Bennett, our chef from Healing Manor Hotel, who gave not only hours and hours of his time sourcing ingredients, putting a menu together, even going so far as to spend a day training the 10 chefs to make sure that they do it how he does it, so that it would be a true reflection of the food he wanted to produce. Absolutely wonderful evening, and I am humbled to be part of it. And it looked completely effortless, but I can assure you it was not without effort. Team effort is what it was, and I think it worked. I love it when a plan comes together. Right, let's move on to agronomy. A very interesting week of weather this week. Cold, frost, no rain. What that's done is it's more or less stopped everything in its track. We've talked before about it is philocron. It is day temperature which encourages leaf emergence at this time of year once you get to a certain stage. So if you take the fact that you take your maximum day temperature, deduct 10 from that, keep what's left and add up what's left until you get to 75 or 80, that is when you'll get a leaf emerge. Now if you've got day temperatures which are below double figures, so 8s, 9s, frost by night, doesn't take a genius to work out. If you take 10 off 8, you don't have anything to work with. That's why things aren't moving. Nothing's really changed growth stage-wise over the last few days. Nothing's really changed disease-wise over the last few days. There is yellow rust in Kerin, there is yellow rust in Lily, and in one or two varieties that you wouldn't expect to be seeing it in. Some of that will be down to stress. Yellow rust, remember, likes cool, damp conditions may not be raining but we are getting very heavy dews by night and that will not only be enough to encourage yellow rust but it'll also be enough to encourage sectoria movement the fact that it's too cold for it to spread and turn through the sexual phase helps us out because it means we don't need to panic about going in so nitrogen doses have been going on winter week people are taking the opportunity while it's dry while they can travel we're looking at the forecast there's no rain in the forecast ammonium nitrate's not going to leach away so people are taking the opportunity and they're getting it put on ready for when the rain does come but things aren't really changing we're not under pressure to get the t1 fungicide on because the growth stages aren't really moving and don't just look at a field and think oh it's a foot tall therefore it's ready because i can assure you you cut the plants open the growth stage in a crop which is 30 centimeters tall is almost identical to that of the crop which is 15 to 20 centimeters tall so looks can be very deceptive similarly in other crops sugar beet very very slow but where it has started to emerge over the last week we've had some significant frost hitting it as it's coming through the ground now the good thing is the cold weather soil temperatures up on the wolds on friday morning 6.2 degrees at four inches deep and down on the warmer land on the lower land only just creeping up to seven now so things very slow polygonums don't really germinate in temperatures that cold so we're not overrun with weeds my advice to you on things like sugar beet 
Uh, and any other crop where you've got to get a herbicide on is bide your time. Don't go throwing a herbicide on a sugar beet crop, which is pricked through and been hit by frost. That's not a good idea. The weeds aren't really germinating. Get the plan in place and monitor it and go when conditions are suitable. Pea and bean weevil, very little activity really, a little on the edges of the field, but it's too cold for them to be really active out in the field. And the beans are growing away and the peas seem to be growing away from any damage anyway. So unless you need to, don't bother doing it. Linseed, remember flea beetle is a different beast to cabbage stem flea beetle and as yet I haven't really seen any flea beetle damage either so spring wheat spring barley rolling watch the frost they're not really moving that quickly but everything is showing the effects of stress out there in the field quite <laughs> topical when I'm talking about Lincolnshire Rural Support Network isn't it but the stress from the moisture deficit is really starting to show now so let's hope next week we start to get a bit warmer a bit wetter and a bit more like spring uh, we can but hope thank you Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Right, on to the latest grain news and prices. Jerome Fielder has the report from Open Field this week. Hi, Sean. Markets lifted by £1 on the week. No substantial changes, though, with the traders closely watching USDA figures and weather reports around the world. I'm afraid Brexit will be spoken about for some time yet, with the latest postponement of the 31st of October agreed this week. What does this mean for grain markets? Well, harvest export barley sales are now possible, albeit at circa £110-£115 at present. Further currency volatility depending on the noise coming on any deal to be agreed with the EU and how hard slash soft that deal is could also affect markets. And in the short term, growers and consumers alike who have been waiting on the outcome of leaving the EU will now need to be make decisions on old crop when to sell or purchase. The USDA report didn't bring much new light. Wheat production was virtually unchanged and the focus is now on weather watching and awaiting the new crop supply and demand report in May. Soybeans again were largely unchanged, with a lift in the Brazilian crop compensated by an increase in Argentinian domestic demand. Things are all set to change if slash when we see a trade deal between the US and China. This was not supportive to all seed rate prices here in the UK. Now I'm just quickly looking at old crop here in the UK. The wheat remains tight on farm, stimulating the crop size debate again. Activity has been stifled by the Easter holidays, with consumers away on holiday. Values are circa £162 to £165 extra farm for spot demand. The wheat in future stores has been swiftly moving out due to the elevated domestic premiums. Looking now at the current crop condition, social media has been alive with discussion on the struggles of growing all-seed rape in recent years. Issues include flea beetle damage, pigeon damage, establishment issues and complete crop failure. Many growers are now considering stopping growing the crop, although alternatives appear limited. Oats are one option, although not a true break crop. And regarding oats, there are very few buyers with a fixed demand, therefore price is likely to come under pressure if there is a big shift into growing oats. If you are choosing this route, then do consider when you're marketing by engaging in a futures-based contract or pool to manage risk. This message is the same for all alternative crops to all-seed rape. It's crucial to consider not only the agronomy, but also the end market of any commodity you are growing. Now for your X farm values. 
Feed wheat for April is 162 to 165 pounds ex farm, depending on location, with values further forward at harvest 137 to 140 pounds, and November prices at 142 to 145 pounds. Group one premiums currently stand between 18 and 22 pounds, depending on the farm. Feed barley values are between 125 and 127 pounds ex farm for April. Um, with harvest values between 112 and 115 pounds. All seed rate values um, are between 300 and 302 pounds extra farm spot, uh, with harvest values at 296 to 298 pounds, and November values between 305 and 307 pounds. As always, for any inquiries, please speak to your local open field farm business manager. Thank you. Thanks, Jerome. That's uh, Jerome Fielder at Open Field. It's Countryside Links today, a chance to get up close with all things farming. The aim is to inspire the next generation to find out more about food and agriculture. Rosie Crust is Education Officer at the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. Countryside Links is all about promoting food farming in the countryside and educating uh, our young people and their families. I've got eight different zones and all the zones are very hands-on, very interactive for children to get involved, engaged with um, activities, demonstrations and things. So a really great experience experience for children and their families and as you say it's you know from from your point of view from the agricultural society's point of view education is is crucial isn't it and and this is one way of of getting that education out there and and showing that 150 years young is the uh, society absolutely yeah i mean the society our charitable objective is to promote and advance and educate about food farming in the countryside so this one really does tick um, tick all of those boxes. I mean, I do the education programme throughout the year with lots of different educational events, but this one is the family one where, yeah, it does tick all those boxes and is, you know, a great day out. As Rosie Crust, the event itself starts at 10 this morning. I might see you there if you're visiting, but have we the weather for it? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Uh, yes, in a word, some sunshine but some cloud as well. Highs of nine, the wind from the east at around 15 miles an hour. A few clear skies could lead to maybe a frost early tomorrow. Lows are generally around two. Then into the new week and we're looking at a fairly settled period actually. A few days of uh, sunshine, highs 10, 11, maybe 12 Celsius and winds mainly from the east could gust at 20 miles an hour for a time. Overnight it will still feel chilly under clear skies, lows of around five and then as we uh, head for the Easter weekend, could be quite mild actually, maybe uh, just above the average for the time of year, though it could perhaps be more unsettled, we'll uh, see. For now, that is the forecast. If you are at Countryside Links later, do please come along and say hello as well. You'll see me in my uh, farming programme jacket. Tap me on the shoulder. Uh, Maybe see you there. If not, I'll chat with you here at the same time next week. Until then, take care.